Uh, thank you very much, and welcome to WGR Sportsbook. Look, at they even did a, 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 a bring-in for me. That's a fabulous. I know, Blake, you had something to do with that. Kim Brown here. I'm taking the place of Steve Courtney, who was on vacation this week, and he's right now laying out at the beaches of Wyandotte. So if anybody's down there, check him out. And we'll be going. Hello, Jamie. How are you? Jamie Edmonds, ladies and gentlemen. How are you tonight, Jamie? Hi, how are you? Yeah, uh, they did a whole open for you. I appreciate you, Jamie, letting me sit in for Steve tonight. This was the first time we ever worked together. We always run into each other because after the Mitch Album show is done, I see Jamie come in, preparing herself, getting Steve together. And uh, this is the first time, and I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to chat with you, too. Fantastic. We're going to talk to a lot of stuff tonight. But, Jamie, the number for tonight, like, Sesame Street is 17. 17. The number of days to the NFL draft, 17. <laughs> I was like, where is he going with this? <laughs> 17. Well, we the got number a number of Pistons victories. Well, no. you know, that was, though. They won 17 games. See how 17 comes up again. So play that yeah. number tonight, 17. Well, we're going to have a great time tonight. Stay tuned for an hour of fun. We're going to talk basketball in a minute because uh, Dwayne Casey has resigned to go to the front office. So they'll be looking for a new coach. We're going to talk about Tyson Walker. Coming back to school, OBJ signing with the Ravens. We're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers, talk about Detroit and quarterbacks. Then we're going to have some golf at the bottom of the hour. Where we're going to find out about the LIV versus uh, regular golfing. Now, I don't know. Are you a big golf fan, Jamie? Huge. I uh, can't wait for that segment. Are you an anti-LIVer? Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm going to let you handle that one then because all I know is Tiger, field, Tiger Woods limped off the field. And it just reminded me of when I was real little and I saw Willie Mays in that 72 72- World Series, and I was just like, it's, it's, I think it's time. Oh, my gosh. It's hard to watch. It is. And he's claiming plantar fasciitis, but I don't know. No, I look like hurt foot, and I've had too many surgeries, and it's time to time to leave the stage. Everybody has to know when it's time to leave, and I think it's getting close to that time. And finally, we'll talk to Lynn Henning. Speaking of leave the stage, we'll talk about the Tigers, and we'll just let that sit there until 45 after because that is that's one ugly show right now. Uh-oh. That's yeah. all I have to say. Uh-oh. Uh, well, this uh, announcement was made today, uh, well, last night, really after the game ended. Everybody comes for the post-game announcements. Dwayne Casey steps up to the mic, and this is what we heard. This is my last game. Yeah, I've been moving to the front office, and we'll we'll have a um, more of a official meeting later on this week. But uh, it's been a good 44 years. Uh, Tom has given me an opportunity to, to move into the front office, and... Um, you know, talk with Troy and to work with Troy, and I'm excited about it uh, to go to the next phase of my life. And with that, Detroit Pistons need a new coach. We have Vinny Goodwill, NBA writer for Yahoo Sports, a friend of mine, a friend of the show. How you doing, Vince? Hey, how's everybody doing tonight? All right, meet Jamie. Jamie Vince was on the line with us, and um, uh, surprise, but not a surprise. Where'd you fall in on the Dwayne Casey uh, leaving? Did you kind of expect it? Yeah, I kind of did. Uh, I think you looked at where the organization was going to try to go. He's got one year left on his contract. And I think they're looking at his age and wondering, okay, will he have the energy to keep up with these young guys and what we're trying to do for years down the line. I think Dwayne Casey felt like he had the energy to do it, to be able to, you know, go another few years or whatever. But, you know, clearly they felt like from from where they are now, you know, and some of the names that you hear bandied about some of the younger assistants, uh, around the NBA, they're not necessarily going for an experienced coach. Uh, I guess you, unless you want to count, you know, Ime Udoka uh, amongst that group. Uh, but you feel like they're trying to go a younger route, especially with so many young pieces that they have, and Dwayne Casey is still going to be valuable. But it, it, because they had such a great relationship, it was not going to be an ugly 
uh, parting of the ways. It was going to be amicable. They're going to try to figure something out. But Dwayne Casey has recently, as a few days ago, said, hey, I still got a lot of basketball left in me. So, you know, I won't say mixed messaging, but you can say curious messaging short and long term. I know Vincent. Vinny, I called him. You came on Sports Final Edition years ago, before you went of to course. Chicago, before you went of to course. Yahoo Sports. You always look so good in your bow tie and your vest. So I'm so <laughs> happy for your success. Jamie, you started him. You this this is you. This you started. I him. am responsible for Vinny Goodwill, basically. <laughs> yes, you and you and Rob Parker definitely yeah. uh, put me put me on television, for which uh, I get offended every time some woman asks me. Hey, Dawn, I know you from somewhere. Are you Rob Parker? (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, my question for you is, and I was talking about this with my husband, who's a big basketball guy. He was just saying when Dwayne Casey came, he was sort of sold a bill of goods like, you know, Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin. They were supposed to go to the playoffs and do something. And then things completely changed on him. No, that's exactly what it was. They won't say you took the rug out from underneath him, Jamie, but he was hired after being coach of the year in Toronto and fired because they lost to LeBron James. I mean, what a crime that was. And, you know, after he turned them down a couple of times, he was probably going to sit out for a year. The Pistons came with a pretty nice offer and said, hey, we're going to give you a chance to compete, and hopefully you can take us to the same heights that you took the Toronto Raptors to. This was before Toronto won that championship. He didn't get a chance to coach that Kawhi Leonard team. He was coaching – Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan is only so high you can go there. And when he's coaching Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson, you know, he was expecting to be able to be in the mix and maybe add another piece and hopefully get back there. And then in 2020, everything goes under and he has to you know, change directions. Usually a lot of times, Jamie, a coach will get fired or he'll step down because he doesn't have the energy for that level of a rebuild. Instead, he stuck around and took all of these losses and that is painful and while you're getting paid for it and everything else that takes a toll on people and it makes you rethink your entire situation because had he stuck around and sat out for a year collected his check from toronto he might have been able to take a better job and been able to compete instead it's kind of turned into a thankless thing because the franchise is going to move forward and these young pieces are going to grow up and he won't be able to reap the benefits of all the work that he's put in to start this. Yeah. Well, you got to give this guy credit. I mean, if you didn't think he taught him defense enough or you just didn't like his coaching style or whatever, you never saw guys punching each other out on the sideline. You never saw any unprofessional behavior even during, you know, like there were 48 games under 500 this year, and you never saw those things. And he kept a good ship running. They just, like you said, they stripped it down to build it back up, and I, I think he should get credit for that. But where do we go from here, Vince, and what are some of the candidates you hear, and what's a legitimate candidate? Because I don't know, this will be Troy Weaver's first hire, so I don't know what he likes and doesn't like, or I'm sure he has a list of guys he's already had about who he has in mind. Where? What are you hearing? You first said, where do we go from here? Like, as if the Lions and Tigers ain't been losing for years. <laughs> like, we're used to this around here. Let's, let's Unfortunately, not, let's not yeah. Like, Let's not act like we're too bougie and we're too high and mighty. You know what I mean? Well, unlike but, Jamie Hemmings, who has to do this every night, I only got to do it once a week. So I, I'm like, where do we go from here? Jamie's like, I've been there. So for the people that only have to do it once a week, where where are we going? Well, I think, first off, it's going to be one of the more attractive jobs on the market, believe it or not, Kenny, especially before the draft lottery comes up. Because if they get the first pick and you have Victor Wimbenyama, who – I'm not always huge on prospects because you never know 
how, you know, the college game or the international game translates and you're putting a lot on a 19-year-old, this kid is the goods. So let's say you get him, and there's like a 14% chance that they can, the highest odds in the league. Let's say you get him, and you have Cade Cunningham coming off of injury and Jay Nivey and Jalen Duren. You've got some young pieces that Troy Weaver has acquired as far as a treasure chest of young players with upside. Now it's going to be, can you build a team? And if you're going to build a team and do it with youth, yeah, Ime Udoka might be able, you know, you might be able to do, do that. The question is, do you want to handle, you know, the public relations standpoint of that? Adrian Griffin, a high-level assistant for a number of years, has been around. If you look at Troy Weaver's history, he, came, he comes from Oklahoma City. They've gone the young route. Remember, they hired a young Scott Brooks a long time ago when they had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, and then they took off. And now they have a guy now, Mark Dagnall, who's younger than me. You know what I mean? Like, literally, if your head coach is younger than me, that means you got a baby up there. So not to say that the Pistons would go to a 35-year route, but there won't be any shortage of good candidates if they feel like this team has a good chance of going on an uptick. They haven't won a playoff game, y'all, since May 24, 2008. It's been past time for this team to get it together. I agree. How long of a leash does Troy Weaver have? Because he's been here for, you know, a fair amount now. Does he have to have a great summer and hit on some guys in the draft? Well, if you hit on Victor, then you hit on the draft. And I think the one thing Troy Weaver does do, or has done rather, Jamie, he has upgraded the talent base. Remember the team that he inherited when he got here. It was Blake Griffin when Blake's leg was done, and Derrick Rose and a couple of other, other and old huge guys. huge contracts on huge contracts and you taking the L on some of those things, the short-term losses from the balance sheet and literally losing games because that was the best thing for you. And now you're in position to reap some benefits. It was just that from the Stan Van Gundy era, this team was in such a bad spot as far as not having upside, not having young guys, not having draft picks that they had to strip it all the way down to the studs and start just by talent acquisition, getting your picks right, getting your books right. Now they have cap space. They've got young players. We're going to find out if some of these young pieces are actually going to grow and mature from not just productive players, because Jay Nivey is productive. Jalen Duran is productive. Kay Cunningham, before he got hurt, was productive. But in the NBA, everybody's productive because you're scoring 130 points a game every night. It's hard to see who's really good when everyone can score 20. Now you're going to figure out from the team-building standpoint, from the team culture, from hiring a coach. I'll say this isn't a critical summer, but it will be a very telling summer as far as revealing all the things that he's done quietly. Will it start to bear fruit as early as next season? All right. Well, Ben, we're going to let you go, but all I got to say is uh, let's get those lotto balls going because uh, I'll even take two, one or two, Wimbiana or uh, Scoop Henderson. Yeah, Scoot Henderson. I'll take either one of those two, but I – but 60 whatever losses, 65 losses, whatever they had this year, you got to give me something. I mean, I just can't have the fifth pick after that. I mean, that. Well, the last time they lost 60 games, they drafted a guy named Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Too bad. Oh, I like Isaiah that stat. Yeah. But That's they, a nice, hopeful stat. All right. Think of Anthony Bennett with Cleveland, though. I mean, I, we, we can go through first round picks now. That, uh... Kenny, you, Kenny, you are like the Grim <laughs> Reaper today, man. Did you not get good Easter Sunday food? Or no. Somebody not cook for you? I still got Darko scars, man. I don't know about you. I still got Darko scars. And like I said, you got to let that go. I'm going to let it go. Get... Just like I'm going to let it go. The, the, the downfall of the Pistons started with Lawrence Frank. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say tonight. 
You want me to disagree with that? No. All right. <laughs> All right. If you get info, give us a call. That's Vinny Goodwill, NBA writer for Yahoo Sports and on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Thanks a lot, Vince, for coming on. I appreciate you, Kenny. Appreciate you, Jamie. All right. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back, Jamie, and we'll have some me, you time. We're going to talk about Tyson Walker, okay? Great. All right. We'll be right back here on the sports book. Uh, welcome back to the sports book, the WGR sports book. Ken Brown filling in for Steve with Jamie Edmonds. Jamie, this is our fast-paced bonus round here. We're going to go through a bunch of topics here in the next six, seven minutes, and we're going to see where you are. I don't know where Steve falls in on these, but we'll see how me and you have the same mind alike. Are we that different, okay? Okay, here we All go. All right, first, Michigan State. Tyson Walker is returning for his 17th season with the Spartans. He'll be back and. uh Good thing, bad thing, uh, is this a team next year that can really make a move toward that national championship? Well, I mean, this is the question always with Tom Izzo, and I think yes is the answer because if you have a 23-year-old Tyson Walker returning at the nation's number three recruiting class, that looks pretty good to me on paper. Yeah, it looks good, but a 23-year-old, you know, guys are retiring from the NBA at 23 now. He'll be back <laughs> for a year. Um, I, I, I'm still – shook because if they would have beat that one game, if they had won that game, I thought they had a chance the way everything else folded out to win the national championship. It was just, this was a year where I just think it was a blown opportunity. Oh, I agree. I mean, that game was the best game of the tournament, the one the Spartans lost in overtime. I just, it was such a shame. Yeah, the Kansas State and that little point guard, it was just, I just, I just, wow. I mean, the way things turned out, but I know I'm hearing they have a good recruiting class coming, and you got some veterans now. And if your guards are veterans, the tournament to me is all guard play. You know, you have big guys like the Purdue guy, but when it comes down to it, your guards are going to make or break you in that tournament. Well, yeah, what happened to them with Kansas State? Yeah. I mean, and you also need a guy that can just create his own shot. And Tyson Walker sure showed that he could do that, especially late, especially against Iowa, I believe, when he had 30-plus points. I think this is a great thing for Tom Izzo. I agree. And they lost to a guy that can't even ride half the rides to see the point. That's the part that hurt me the most. <laughs> just, just, wow. I bet he, this guy gets so many, like, short jokes. <laughs> well, if he sees me, he's going to get three more. I got three of them ready to go. Oh. But I'll tell you what, he can play, though. He can play. So, All right, sure. that's item number one. Item number two, Aaron Rodgers has still not been traded yet because the Packers and the Jets cannot come up with compensation. Now, let me add on to this, Jamie. Odell Beckham Jr. was supposed to be the signing that would help the Jets be more acclimated when Aaron Rodgers gets there. You know, you're bringing in an all-pro guy whatever. OBJ goes to Baltimore yesterday for an outlandish amount of money. Yes or no? Do you think this uh, Rodgers, the New York Jets thing, will ever happen? I'll tell you what. I think I'm so sick of Aaron Rodgers right now and all the stories surrounding him. Did we not just go through this with him last year? Is he going to leave? Is he going to stay? And then they give him this huge contract, and where are we again? Ready to go. I think he likes that, though. I think he comes out of that little cave where he goes every year for his little sabbatical, and he comes out, and he just likes to cause confusion. I mean, his whole career has been that way. Well, what team – I mean, granted, I mean, he had a great career, but what team wants him now? I mean, apparently the Jets, but it, he just seems like so much drama. Right. Well, it's, see, the Jets have locked themselves in now because if they don't get a quarterback now, they have to go back to the Wilson kid, and you know they don't want to do that. And all the good quarterbacks now are pretty much taken, unless you like one of Teddy Bridgewater or whatever, but uh, guys that are left. So the Jets have to, di- they have to play ball with the Green Bay Packers. 
I mean, who taught the Jets about negotiations? They have no leverage. Nothing. Nothing at all. And and there's a clock ticking because if it goes past the 17 days, the famous 17 days to the NFL draft, and they don't get a pick this year, what's Green Bay's uh, obligation to even trade after that? Well, if, you know, we didn't get a pick this year. Why, why, why would I trade with you at all now? Right. And Green Bay, I think, is just done. And so they're like, take this deal, Aaron, or not, whatever. You're just, we're going, we're moving forward. Yeah, I'm just happy he's out of the division we're in, though, because I, I'm sick of seeing him. Even though his play, to me, has regressed over the last few years, he's not the Aaron Rodgers of seven years ago to me. I'm not scared to play him anymore. He's still a good player, but he's not the Aaron Rodgers. So I'm I'm happy to see him go, but if he stayed and had to play for Green Bay, I'm fine with it, too. I think the Lions are ready to go. I mean, I'm not afraid of him either. And I might have seen his final game in Green Bay, which is crazy, but he's certainly not the Aaron Rodgers that we're used to. Right. Were you at that game? Yes, it was right. so great. Good. First time at Lambeau. Good. Did you, do you, when, you, when you're on the field, does he walk out? Does he talk to anybody? I, I just He just seems like the weirdest guy. Did you? No, I mean, he just walks off the field and does his <laughs> obligation, which is the press conference. And but then it. again, I'm not in their local media. Maybe he's nice to their local media. Sure, there's only five of them. That's why I'm creepy. <laughs> you have to be nice if you know all five people. All right, so I'm done with Aaron Rodgers enough. Detroit Lions, draft coming up in how many days, Jamie? 17. 17 days. One thing they have not addressed yet in free agency, and one thing that bothers me because I argue with Steve Courtney and all the time, and I'm going to give you my philosophy on this. I think backup quarterback is the sixth most important position on the team, even though it doesn't play. After running backs, defensive ends, the corner, the regular quarterback, if you don't have a backup quarterback and your guy gets hurt, your season is done. So Yeah. So I they, mean, you need a guy that can at least win a couple games for you. That has won a game in the NFL. Right, and hopefully the injury to your main guy is one or two games. Right, but if he have to come in, you have to have a guy that's won a game. Now, the rumor out there is Teddy Bridgewater has gotten a substantial offer from the Lions. Um, he was in New Orleans when Dan Campbell was there. He's Everybody around here knows him from Minnesota. Remember Louisville where he played? And he had a big leg injury that almost killed him, let alone ended his career. Is that a good enough backup for you? Well, it's better than what they have at the moment. So, yes. I mean, who else are they going to get? That's the thing. Like, it's all situational. Would you rather have a rookie uh, high draft pick this year? I'm not mentioning names, Anthony Richardson. I'm not mentioning names. Would you rather have one of these uh, top four quarterbacks this year and go with that as a backup, or do you want a seasoned guy? I think the Lions are ready to win now, so I would go rather Teddy Bridgewater than a project. All right. Now, speaking of that, though, the Lions are in a well, they're having uh, the voluntary visits out at the uh, Allen Park and Herndon Hooker, the Tennessee Volunteers quarterback, is visiting tomorrow. Now, everybody knows he's about 85 years old. He's one of the oldest players in college. He's uh, he'll be older. He'll be 26 or 27 by the time the season starts. And also he had a ACL injury, which means he might not even be able to play this year, which means his first year of actually being able to play would be 27 years old. Is that a guy you would draft high and no. put in your quarterback rotation? Well, I, I don't mind him being in the rotation, but not high. When you say not high, what round are we talking? Not first. <laughs> not first. <laughs> They got four picks. Would you uh, would you spend a second round pick on a guy that might not play for you this year? In the that I wouldn't mind. You wouldn't mind. That I want. What do you think? I think that I would take him 
late with the late second round pick, but maybe the third round pick. I, I think he's going to go lower than people are talking. Because people are not talking about going in the first round or whatever. But there's only been one player drafted in the first round that old, and it was Brandon Whedon. And if you guys don't remember him, that should tell you everything you need to know about older right. quarterbacks. If you can't remember him, then that's what's going to happen. So, And Malik Willis last year, everybody was, oh, this guy might go in the top five, blah, blah, blah. Ended up going in the third round and didn't play good. And now Tennessee's looking to get rid of him. So I think he's going to go lower than everybody expected. I would go third round with him. I wouldn't even give up a second round. You got four. You can get four real good players with those first four picks that can help you this year. Mm-hmm. That's me. Yeah. No, I could totally see that. But he, if he's there, the second round makes more sense to me than anything else. Yeah. We, those first two picks have got to be defense, in uh, my opinion. Or uh, you know, uh, we got to talk when I get back because you know I'm a Bijan Robinson guy. If the running back is there with that second one, that's my guy. Let's get that offense. It's top five now. Let's get it to top three. But, but he, they just signed a running back. All right, but you need about four or five of them in that league. You know, you guys get Swift. You can't tell if he's going to play one week and not for the next five. And you can match him and Montgomery and and make a. I mean, just think of a top two offense or a top three offense. That'd yeah, be- I mean, it gives you like a one-two punch kind of. I get yeah, what you're saying. So we'll go from there. All right, Jim, we're going to take a break. We come back. We're going to talk golf. Your lane. We're going to talk about the LIV. The Tiger Woods. We're going to talk about the winner of yesterday, Mr. Rom. We're going to talk about where golf is going. And all you golf heads, please stay with us and we'll come back and Jamie will take us home. All right, Jamie? Uh, okay, sounds all good. All right, let's go to break and we'll be back here on the WJR Sportsbook. All right, for those who don't know, Rom, Mr. Rom has won John Rom, the Masters yesterday in a, I don't want to say Jamie, a controversial Masters, but uh, interesting Masters because of the LIV and things of that nature. There was a lot going on. Trees were falling. Things were happening. It was just all types of stuff going on. But uh, Mr. Rom did win, and thank goodness he wasn't an LIV golfer. Am I right on that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, honestly, I think the talk of Liv wasn't as high as it was a month or so ago. And even with three of the top ten guys from Liv, you know, in the leaderboard, I thought there was less talk than – the hubbub surrounding all of this like a month ago. Mm-hmm. But I will say I watched maybe 12 hours of master's coverage yesterday with my family here in Pittsburgh. And we kept saying, come on, Rom, come on, Rom, <laughs> anyone, but you know, Brooks Kepka or Phil Mickelson or Patrick Reed, like come on, Rom. And he fulfilled. Yeah. Kepka is not the most uh, likable person is he outside. I heard a lot of people talk about him, but I'll tell you, we're going to talk to somebody right now about the masters yesterday and, uh, golf and what's what we see in the future here. Bob Herrick, golf writer for Sports Illustrated and the author of Tiger and Phil, golf's most fascinating rivalry is on the line with us. Hi, Bob. How are you? I'm great, guys. Thank you. All right. You got Jamie Evans here and myself, Ken. Uh, Just give me your rundown on what you thought uh, the weekend was about in the Masters itself. Yeah, I thought you guys summarized it nice there. You know, um, John Rahm just sort of solidified himself as a, as a force, you know, he's, he's been playing great for six months. And um, I don't know the way we are in the world today, every recency bias, you know, he had just had a a tournament or two where things weren't as good, but he, he, uh, 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 you know, he had won five times going back over five months and, uh, and, and really hadn't been out of the top 10 for a long time. So, and now he's got four wins this year. I mean, he's he's he'd already gotten off to such a great start. I, I think we probably should have thought more 
more about the fact that he could have could have really been the Masters winner, and he was, and he showed it. What do you think about the Masters inviting the Live players? And do you agree with me that everyone was talking about Live in a negative light, you know, a month ago or whenever this was all going on? And you know, it wasn't that much of a topic this weekend. Yeah, I think what happened was is everybody sort of just rose above it. They decided to put it aside and just make it about a major championship, the Masters. Um, you know, the, the Masters and the other majors, for the most part, have decided that that it's not their battle and that the, the, the players who've qualified and who've earned their way into the tournament, you know, should be welcomed. You know, uh, Patrick Reed has won the Masters. Uh, same with Phil. Um, you know, those guys – those guys have, have earned their place based on previous qualifications. Um, you know, uh, Kepka was in because he had won the, uh, in the PJ championship as late as 2019. That gives you five year exemption. Uh, also the U S open, uh, before that he's won four majors. So, um, I think the golf world sort of decided we're going to, we're going to try to put that to the side right now and, and, and get the controversy in the background and make this about the first major of the year. And I think that's why you heard less about it. How about Phil Mickelson? I mean, he came out of nowhere. He did nothing on the live tour and then he comes and does a seven under 65 on Sunday. Yeah. Listen, I mean, I think it was a reminder of how great Phil was and can be. Um, he's not going to probably do that much at 52 anymore. But, I mean, he shot 65 at age 52. He hadn't shot a 65 in the Masters but one other time, and that was in 1996 in the first round when he was 25 years old. Um, And the last time he shot as low as 66 even was in 2012. You know, so um, it did sort of come out of nowhere when you consider, um, you know, where his game has been. he shot around in the 60s in each of the live events he's played, but he also shot one of 75 or higher each of those tournaments. You know, there was there was no sense that he was, you know, putting it together. He, he had been very erratic. But like a lot of former guys who've done well at the Masters or won there, it sort of brings out their best. And uh, it's it's the type of place where Phil can probably still have success. It's wide open. He knows the course extremely well. He knows where not to miss it. His short game is still really solid. Uh, he's kind of got all those things uh, uh, going for him, and he put it together there. You know, I'm sure he's ruining – you know, he played pretty poorly in the bad weather on Saturday into Sunday morning, shot 75 in the third round. I'm, I'm sure he wishes he had a couple of those back. It might have made things a little bit more interesting yesterday if he, if he had been just a little bit closer. Well, that was the good half of your book, Tiger and Phil. Now we have to talk about the bad half, Tiger Woods. And I like I'm a I remember when I was a kid, real little, I was I used to watch Willie Mays at that, you know, that when he was with the Mets and that's that World Series and missing the ball in, in center field. And I'm just getting to the point now, am I overreacting to this that it's just not the same Tiger out there. The injuries just have taken their toll now and I, I don't know where he goes from here. What what did you see? Yeah, I mean I think that's you know, that's where we're at right now. He seems to be spinning his wheels. Um, you know, when Tiger came back at the Masters last year, everybody was really impressed, and it was viewed as a victory, even though he finished 47th. 
you know, he made, he made the cut, um, which was incredible. And I, I think the belief then was as well, look, his, his foot and his ankle are going to improve, you know, more given more time and more healing and more rehab, things are going to get better. But I, I, we're starting to see that that's not really the case. You know, it, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that there's been improvement and he's not real forthcoming about it. Um, obviously he's shown some flashes with some really good golf at times, but he's kind of in this perpetual cycle of he can't overdo it when he gets, tries to get ready to play in one of these tournaments. And yet he's not prepared because he hasn't competed. And if he, if he tries to play and tries to do too much, then he puts himself in a position where it's going to be hard to play. But if he doesn't play, he can't compete. And now, you know, what what he said yesterday was is that this was a recurrence of the plantar fasciitis. And if that's the case, I mean, the good news about that is it will heal. Uh, he had that in December as well. But you're looking at a month to six weeks, maybe even two months. So he's, he's really got to shut it down here for a while. He needs to stay off of it, let it get better. That's That can be a very, very painful uh, malady that he's got going on there in addition to the other stuff. And then, you know, he's got to ramp it back up. Meanwhile, all these other guys are playing and competing. And it just sort of the cycle starts over again. So uh, the next time he, he would have likely played is the PGA Championship next month. It's five weeks away. That seems kind of a reach at this point. Um, seems a long way off. The, he dearly wants to play the U.S. Open at L.A. Country Club. He grew up in L.A., um, you know, that might be a more reasonable goal right now. And, and even that, you know, it's, he's, he's playing at the toughest venues. He's playing at the hardest courses against guys who are, you know, competing and practicing all the time. And, um, you know, he's just, he's just making it really hard on himself. And it's unfortunate because, because if he could just stand over the ball and hit it, that part of it's still really good. Yeah, I mean, I think the practice round, it was Monday or Tuesday, there's this picture of everyone around him on the tee shot, and it, it, people just want him to succeed, and so I hope he can come back. But I want to have one last question for you about your book, Tiger and Phil, The Rivalry, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. Phil would have had a lot more wins if Tiger didn't come along. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. I mean, and Phil has said that, but Phil has also said, I wonder if I would have gotten as good without Tiger because he forced me to get better. You know, he forced me to improve. He forced me to work on my game. I knew how I had to work harder to beat him. Um, and, and, you know, Phil did get his share of success against Tiger. It just came later on. You know, it took a while. Tiger had eight majors before Phil had one. Uh, and and Ty, Phil slowly chipped away. Uh, he had his moments against Tiger. Just, you know, obviously nobody gets over him more than he does you. But, uh, you know, I try to point out that Phil was the next best and, and his being the next best was really incredible. You know, his career, 45 wins, six majors. I mean, if there was no Tiger, that record alone would be awesome. And, uh, you know, there's there's not too many people that are, that are getting close to matching that now. I mean, look at Kepka, four majors. Rory has four majors. They're having a hard time getting the fifth. And, and Phil has six. You know, so that's um, – and, of course, you know, the tour wins. You know, there's, there's basically nobody that's halfway to Phil right now. So uh, he, he just had the misfortune, I suppose, of being there in the era. Tiger came after him. 
uh, uh, but uh, but not by much, and and basically surpassed him and everybody else. Mm. Well, it was a good weekend for golf overall. Uh, John Rahm, the winner of the Masters. Um, if you liked your Phil Nicholson, you had your flashbacks. Brooke Koepka um, blowing another lead, but it was a a fun <laughs> event, and we'll see uh, how Tiger Wood progresses because I do want to see him get back to at least you know competent enough to get out there and compete. So we'll see how it goes. Anyway, uh, thanks for coming on with us tonight. That's Bob Hare, golf writer of Sports Illustrated and author of Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. Uh, thanks for coming on with us, Bob. Appreciate it. Thank, thanks for having me. Be uh, well. All right. All Thank right. you. We, we talked about good sports, and uh, we'll come back and talk about the Tigers. So if you guys want to eat, eat now because uh, it's, it's not going to be pretty. Damien, you prepare yourself for this stuff. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> all right. We'll be right back after this break. All right, we're back on the final segment of the sports book. Uh, Jamie, we've had a good time tonight. We've had comedy. Now it's time to talk a little tragedy. We're going to talk about the Detroit Tigers tonight. And anytime I talk Tigers, I always go to my main man, Lynn Henney, who is stopping his vacation to talk to me tonight. I appreciate it. Lynn Henney. Well, we all need a vacation from the Tigers, I suppose, Ken, even uh, a week into the season. I mean, th- this has been sad and cruel. I think uh, some of it was expected. For instance, that uh, first series at Tampa Bay, there were, weren't really any shocks about three. Then they went to Houston, where you figured they'd get conked, and they went a couple of really good ball games. And and I think uh, at that point, people had legitimate hopes. The spring wasn't going to be uh, bad, and might even be a little upbeat. And uh, then they they come home and get popped in the chops uh, against the Red Sox. So. It's it's really uh, tough, and it's tougher too, Ken and, and Jamie. When you go now to Toronto, and let's face it, uh, that probably isn't going to be any fun. But it's all it all goes back, Ken and Jamie, to what I thought. I thought this would be a very punishing spring for them, and that toward summer, and that sounds like a long time off, but it really isn't. Toward summer, they would be a pretty good ball team. I'm talking about playing decent baseball, entertaining baseball, interesting baseball because of a lot of personnel shuffling that would probably come about along with some uh, growing up by the kids. But this is not pretty, and it's probably not going to be pretty for a while. Okay, where do we start here? Um, we, I know that the new GM Harris wants to do, he wants to control the strike zone, and he wants to do <laughs> these other things. But you you got Javier Baez on the team. You're not controlling any strike zone when you're swinging the right. stuff out of the way. And he's yeah. going to be there because, like I said, I don't think he's going to opt out of that contract the way he's playing. No. So he's going to be there for a while. So, And you got the end of Cabrera, which you're going to ride him through the season and get him to the starts, whatever. But I just don't know what, what are the things we should be looking at for improvement or the good stuff. I always thought uh, that there would be some – lineup changes pretty fast and and those would come in the way of addition by subtraction and it would begin with jonathan scope uh who's going to i think be uh, designated for assignment any day and certainly within a month uh and, and that has to happen uh because he's not going to give you any offense uh he's had that a couple of years ago and, and that's been the end of that and Cabrera, I mean, they went with sentiment. And sentiment isn't going to score any runs for you. And I know people didn't want to say uh, anything cruel to Miguel Cabrera at the end of last year, but he and they should have sat down and they both should have come to the consensus that it wasn't going to be wise for him to come back in 2023 at age 40 
knowing he wasn't going to hit with any kind of productivity. So th- this is simply being mature. I think ownership is certainly just keeping him there. But this could be a very, very ugly goodbye instead of the beautiful, sentimental farewell that everybody wanted. These things impact the lineup. They prevent you from hitting. They prevent you from scoring runs. They prevent you from winning baseball games. And so you're not going to get over that uh, hump until you say goodbye to unproductive people. The bias deal is another situation altogether. Ken and Jamie, I've always said I don't like long, expensive free agent deals. They can be balls and chains. And this one was going to be, um, unfortunately, uh, just that after he showed last year that uh, the strike zone in Javier Baez just no longer can have a marriage. (laughs) And so this is going to be a very tough, tough time, I think, uh, for those three guys. And until they can replace them, two easier than one, uh, there's going to be trouble. I mean, I have it right in front of me. Baez is four for 33 with two walks and seven strikeouts. Yikes. But here is positive. Spencer Torkelson had a very challenging season last year. Now he has six RBIs and the hardest hit ball. You know, he has a lot of hard hit balls. I think that's a positive. Oh, yeah, Jamie. And all along we said that was one of the reasons why this team would, in fact, get better. And they will be better. They'll be better than they were last year. You're not going to see it early. But Torkelson and Green were at the heart of those reasons for why this was going to be an improved ball club and why I think towards summer when they've ironed out a few things, specifically replacing Scope and a couple of people who aren't producing, then uh, they've got a chance for, to let the kids grow up like Torkelson and Green. They're going to get Terry Carpenter probably to uh, add to that mix a little bit. Uh, they, they've certainly got Jake Rogers, who's going to be an improvement at catcher both ways. There are things that are happening, and then they'll probably call up by midseason a kid like Parker Meadows, who can really, really put some dynamite uh, in your batting order. Those things all suggest that there's an uptick here, and there will be. But it's just getting through, I think, this cold spring that's going to be really tough on fan bases that – Uh, have had it with uh, this kind of baseball in Detroit. It's been going on too long, and it needs to cease. How do you think the Austin Meadows thing is going to play out? It seems like when he comes to Detroit is when he has the problems he has. You know, he didn't have them in spring training. He didn't have them when he was, I I think, in Tampa Bay. But it's just maybe it's the city. Maybe he just doesn't like it here. No, Kenny, I I think uh, this thing, of course, is best discussed by medical experts, but uh, I got the feeling in a conversation with him and the other guys uh, last month uh, down in Lakeland that um, there was a lot of optimism, but perhaps rooting at him and gnawing at him uh, was uh, this underlying condition he is he is battling. And that can be so tortured and, and can be so cruel. Anxiety is right up there with depression. And uh, we have to feel terribly sad for this guy uh, because this is something that he has to live with, not just during a baseball season, but 365 days a year from all that we can discern. And so the doctors uh, would give you a better answer there than I can, but I'm fearful, Ken and Jamie, that uh, Austin Meadows may not be able to play baseball uh, for Detroit productively or for any length of time. 
I hear you. Well, Lynn, we're going to end it there. We're at the end of the show. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on with us tonight. That's Lynn Henning. Uh, Jamie Evans, thank you for allowing me to be your co-host tonight. I appreciate it. I had fun. Hope we do it again. This is so fun. I love chatting sports, kibitzing, as Steve I says. I love it. All right, we'll join Steve and Jamie next week on the sports book. And this has been Ken Brown, and you guys have a good night.